All right, well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, we are going to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And then just so you have a heads up, we're going to flip back over after we finish up in Ephesians, and we're going to start in the book of Exodus, and we're going to work our way back up uh, to the book of Acts. But all the scriptures we're going to turn to are not on the screen today. They're all in order, though. So once you start in the book of Exodus, we'll only be moving to the right, and I ought to give you plenty of time to get to each scripture. There's a handful of them, but I think they're really helpful for you to see in your own Bible this morning. So let's go to Lord in prayer, and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do, as the song said, we thank you for the mountains and we thank you for the valleys so that we can see the great works that you've done. Father, I pray that as we go through the rest of this worship service, Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of us. Lord, I pray that you would feed your people. And Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is, it's no secret, it's Thanksgiving time. You, you might not know it's Thanksgiving time if you went to Lowe's or Home Depot. You would think it was Christmas time, right? Right after, right after, uh, Halloween. Actually, they don't even wait for Halloween to get over anymore. It really does seem like each year, earlier and earlier, we get sale ads, we get decorations in stores and whatnot. And so, you would really be thrown for a loop if you visited, uh, if you visited America, you weren't from here, and you went to Walmart the day before Halloween, and you would see weird Halloween stuff, and you'd see Christmas stuff at the same time, you would think, what in the world are these people into in America, wouldn't you? All right, good. So, what I want to do is that I want to kind of have a three-part message on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is going to be in two weeks. We usually celebrate Thanksgiving uh, as a church the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And so I'm going to get three shots at being thankful for things. I'm going to do the same sort of message that I really enjoy on Thanksgiving, where I share with you all of the things I'm really thankful for for the past year. But uh, two leading up to that, I want to share very specific things that I'm grateful for. And the first one is in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag so you can know what direction we're going. The thing that I'm most thankful for right now is the church. Okay. Not someone else's church, not our church, but the church in general, the way that Jesus set it up. And so I've been a part of a lot of different organizations. Okay. I've been a part of elite organizations. I've been a part of organizations that I wish I hadn't been a part of, right? You all been there. We've we've been part of ones that we're really proud of. We've been part of ones where I probably could have spent our time in better ways, but I want you to see why all of these organizations pale in comparison to the church. And here you go. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is Paul praying for the church at Ephesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so Paul says, I pray that you would know exactly what the height and the depth of the love of God is, the God who is above all and over all things. And listen to what he says. And he put all things, this is verse 22. Ephesians 1 verse 22 and he put all things in subjection under his feet that's under the feet of Jesus and gave him as head over all things to the church 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so do you get this? So God sends his son. So excuse me, let me back up. God creates everything in six days and he creates it perfect. On the seventh day, he rests. And then in an unknown amount of time, man and woman just ruin it by not showing faith in God and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they completely ruin everything that God has done because they chose sin over God. You with me? And so the whole earth, as God set it up, has been ruined because of sin. But God loves us so much. He sends his son, Jesus, into this earth to pay the penalty for sin. And he sets up Jesus over every single thing, over Satan, over dominions you can't see, over everything in the world. Jesus makes things right and God gives him a place of honor in this world above everything else. And then you know what he does? He takes Jesus and he gives Jesus to the church. And so do you understand as a church... That we have the one who has the whole earth under subjection to him on our team. You realize that? That he's not just the one we're following, but he's been given to us as to play a role in what we're doing. You following me? And so regardless of what organization you've been a part of, regardless of how elite and how great your training is, this organization that you're a part of, the church, has Jesus as its captain and has Jesus on the team. And he's a part of what's going on here. Okay, that's the church. And so this is why I couldn't be more excited to be a part of a church because Jesus is above all and over all and he's with us and he's for us in this journey. And so we're going to get somewhere with why that's exciting in a minute. So you go ahead and turn back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 35. I want you to follow a common theme in scripture. This is so everybody take your scriptures and turn to Exodus chapter 35. We're going to start in verse 30. So if you were to read through the Bible, you would read that God created everything in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Man completely ruined it. God promised in Genesis chapter 315 that he was going to send the seed of a woman to crush the head of Satan and fix the problem. You find that sin is beginning to run rampant. God destroys the whole earth because of sin. Get it? He destroys the whole earth because of sin, and he starts over with Noah and his family. Noah and his family, they start off okay, and then the world gets more and more sinful by the time you get to Genesis chapter 11. And God's not going to destroy the earth again, but things are so bad that he confuses their languages and spreads them out so they can't become any more wicked of a people together. That's how he slows down the wickedness of man growing. And then he says in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I'm going to fix the problem, and I'm going to do it through a man named Abraham. And so God calls a man named Abraham, he calls him to himself, and he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to draw all the peoples of the world back to myself. Because the problem is that people have strayed from God, and they need to come back. And he's going to, God is going to draw the people back through Abraham. And so as God begins to draw people to himself through Abraham, you find that occasionally God needs something God-sized done in the world. And the way that God accomplishes God-sized tasks is through sending his spirit to work in the lives of people. And so now God has taken those people, the seeds of Abraham, he's, he's taken them out of slavery in the book of Exodus, and now they're in the promised land, and God needs to teach these people proper worship of him. And in the Old Testament, the only way that you can properly understand God and worship God is through the building of a tabernacle. And so God sets apart his people to build a tabernacle. Now this is, this tabernacle is a tent in the middle of the desert, and we said that this thing is over 20 million dollars in worth. 
right? So God's people are, are not just building a tent like you would put up in the army or that you would put up for a wedding. This is a $20 million tent that is no bigger than the size of this room that we're in right now. You with me? I think even the most luxurious of you ladies would have a hard time spending $20 million on something that's a room this size. And some of you men are like, well, you haven't seen it with my credit card, but I promise you, $20 million, that's the most head nods I've gotten out of some men in a long time. Listen, gang, $20 million, a room this size, so that men and women can properly understand the problem of sin and how God is going to fix the problem of sin and how they can rightly worship him in the middle of the desert. And so what God needs to do is that you can't just go out to, to stores and buy all of these things because they're in the middle of the desert. What needs to happen is these things need to be handcrafted and everything needs to be perfect so that the people can understand their sin problem and they can worship God as a result. And so here you have in Exodus chapter 35, verse 30. It says, Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all craftsmanship, verse 32, to make designs for working in gold and in silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood so as to perform in every inventive work. He's also put in his heart to teach both he and that guy's name who starts with O of the tribe of Dan. And he's filled them with the skill to perform every work of an engraver and a designer and of an embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet material and in fine linen and of a weaver as performers of every work and makers of designs. And so you have God wants this thing done and he wants it done perfectly. And so he sends his spirit to equip this man to do the work exactly the way that God has called him to do it. And the only reason he's able to do it exactly the way God wants him to do it is because God has empowered him through his spirit to do it. So the spirit of God comes on this guy. And then flip over a couple books to the book of Judges. This is Judges chapter 13. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So you've got to flip over a handful of books to Judges chapter 13. All through the book of Judges, you have God raising up men or women to lead God's people. And the only reason that these people are able to lead God's people out of the captivity that they find themselves is because the Spirit of God comes upon these people so that they can effectively lead the people of God. Judges chapter 13, verse 24. Then the woman gave birth to a son. I'll give you time. Judges chapter 13, verse 24. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in those two places. Okay. So here's this woman has a child and this child is going to be great. Why? Because the woman was great. No, this child was going to be great because the Holy Spirit was involved in this child's life. And you keep reading about this boy, Samson, and you read about all of the things that he does, right? And, and even despite his faults, the Lord still uses him in a mighty way. Why? Because the Spirit of God is on this guy's life. This guy is walking through town one day. A lion jumps out from around the corner, and he grabs a lion and rips the lion in half. What do you do when a lion jumps out at you? I don't think you grab him and rip him in half. This guy's got a problem with an enemy army. He grabs the jawbone of a donkey, and he wipes out an entire 
army with the jawbone of a donkey. This is impressive stuff from this guy, Samson. And the reason that he's able to do all of this, don't think it's because of his hair, right? If you've read the book of Sam, read the book of Judges and you think, okay, it, the secret is in this guy's hair, that's wrong. The secret is in the spirit of God working in this man's life. He's able to lead God's people and get them free from the enemy Philistines. And you go, wow. So here's a job that this guy, Bezael, in the Old Testament, he's able to do this job perfect because the Holy Spirit of God is resting on him. Then you keep going, and there's other ones that we've skipped. We're just hitting the big ones. Now you've got this guy, Samson, who the Lord is at work in his life, and he's doing great things through this guy named Samson because the Spirit of God is resting upon him. And then flip over a couple more books to the book of First Kings. This is First Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17. You run up on a man named Elijah. Now, you don't know much about Elijah until he comes on the scene. But I want to tell you one of the most jaw-dropping things that you could ever learn about Elijah. It's not in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 16 or 17. It's in the book of James. The book of James says that Elijah was a man just like you and I. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And Elijah, being a man just like us, prayed. And then the Lord brought forth rain. Not that he did these great things. It's that he was a man just like you and I. I want you to see. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab. Ahab's the king. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, that came to Elijah saying, and so the word of the Lord is going to come to Elijah. And the only way the word of the Lord can come to an individual is through the spirit of God speaking into that individual's life. And so Elijah, exactly like Samson, exactly like Bezalel, has the spirit of God on his life, coaching him where to go in life. This is Elijah. Now turn over a page to 1 Kings chapter 18. Most of you know this story, but I want to read it again just so you can see that what happens in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God comes to rest on a man's life. It came about, this is 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 17. It came about when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so what's happened is the, the nation of Israel has gone apostate. They've, they've fallen away from serving the Lord. Elijah thinks that he's the only one left, but there's, there's still several hundred that God has tucked away. But Elijah's the only one out in the open. And there's all sorts of false prophets to Baal and Asherah. Okay? 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, she was the wicked queen of King Ahab. So Ahab, verse 20, sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So Elijah is the only man following God. And there's 950 prophets. These are people who have been set apart specifically for the worship of those gods. There's the whole nation of Israel 
and all of those prophets on one side, and Elijah is standing on the other side. They have all of the powers of the earthly kingdom. Elijah stands alone with the Spirit of God. And listen to what he says. Verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place on it the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay on it the wood and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people said that is a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox, which was given them and they prepared it. And called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. Verse 27. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. It came about when midday was past that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. And so the scene is that Elijah is standing there on one side with his offering and all of the people are on the other side trying to call on the name of Baal, but it's quiet and there's no answer. And he says that this happened from morning until the evening sacrifice. And I think, boy, even with the Spirit of God, that is a long time to stand by yourself against 950 people worshiping a false god. Is it not? But Elijah has the strength to do it because of the Spirit of the Lord in his life. Then Elijah said to the people, verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. And this jumped out at me when I was reading it this week. Verse 30. So Elijah has the people set up two altars. They leave their altar and they tear down his, right? He's one guy. They're dancing around. They're cutting themselves. They're destroying themselves, calling out to Baal. And they don't just call out to Baal, but they go ahead and destroy Elijah's altar. So that when it's his time to sacrifice, he's actually got to stop and he's got to rebuild his altar by himself. Elijah took 12 stones, verse 31, took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today 
Let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their, their heart back again. Then the Lord, excuse me, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And so this whole story happened because one man was filled with the spirit of God and he took a stand against the evils of that day. Do you see what the Lord can do with one man filled with the Spirit of God who's willing to stand by himself from morning till evening against 950 people who are calling out to false gods? We're going to get somewhere really exciting in a second. Keep going forward. Flip over to the book of Isaiah. There's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 11. Turn to the right, past the book of Psalms, past the book of Proverbs. You'll get to the book of Isaiah. It's pretty big. You're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. You guys know the story of Israel. Israel has a bit of a roller coaster history. At times they follow the Lord. They're walking on mountaintops. At times they're apostate and they're in the valleys. And times are really tough for them. During the book of Isaiah, they're in a tough period in their history. But there's a prophet named Isaiah who's telling them of good things that are going to come for them. They've got to walk through these tough times, but Isaiah's prophesying of good times ahead. And listen to this. This is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 4. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Listen to this. So there's a, there's a stump that looks dead, right? That's the nation of Israel. But a shoot is going to grow off of this stump. And its roots are going to bear fruit. Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so if you're Israel right now and you're getting this prophecy through Isaiah. And you hear that someone's going to be born who the spirit of the Lord is going to rest on. You're thinking your heroes. You're thinking Bezalel. You're thinking Samson. You're thinking... Uh, Elijah, you've got all of these great people in your mind. Like, who is the Lord going to send who the Spirit of God is going to rest on? It says, he, verse 3, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees, nor will make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the affected of the earth. And you go, wow. That's going to be a great day when God raises up a king for us who's going to be like David. He's going to be like David. He's going to have the spirit of the Lord resting on him. And he's going to be a perfect judge. He's not going to judge by what he sees. He's not going to judge by what he hears. But he's going to judge with righteousness. And you go, wow, I cannot wait for that day. And so this would have brought peace and comfort. And all of you know that the person talking about in Isaiah is Jesus himself. But but they don't know that it's the Messiah himself. So we keep going. And you flip over to the book of Joel. Joel's one of the little prophets. You finish flipping through Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. You'll flip past Hosea, and then you'll get to Joel. Not exactly in that order, but it's close enough for you to get over to the book of Joel. You flip over to the book of Joel. We're going to be in Joel chapter 2. This is Joel chapter 2, verse 28. 
in Joel chapter 2, Joel is, excuse me, in the book of Joel, Joel is calling the nation of Israel to repent. Okay? He's calling the nation of Israel to repent. And he says that after they repent, there's promise of an immediate deliverance. And then listen to one of the promises that comes about through the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. And this is going to make a lot more sense since we've done kind of the legwork of, of showing you different people in the scriptures who have the Spirit of God. And each time you look back at these, these stories that we've been using, it's one person in the midst of the people who has the Spirit of God. Verse 28 of chapter 2 in Joel says, It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. You get that? It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And you go, if you're reading through the Scriptures, you would go, holy smokes. I've seen Bezalel. I've seen, I've seen Elijah. I've seen Samson. I've seen David. And I've seen, I've seen all of these individuals with the Spirit of God on their lives. What in the world is it going to look like when God pours out His Spirit on all people? What's that going to look like? Is that going to mean there's going to be just an, an abrupt number of Samsons? There's going to be an abrupt number of Elijahs? Bezael, can you imagine if everybody had the Spirit of God, what you could do on behalf of the Lord? Can you imagine? And you keep flipping through the Scriptures. And you get over to the book of Matthew. All of you know where Matthew is. First book of the New Testament. Flip forward till you get to the red letters. Stop. Matthew chapter 1. And what we're focusing on is we're focusing on the Spirit of God. Or the Holy Spirit. And you have Matthew chapter 1. This is verse 18. So you've learned so far that the Spirit of God is given to empower people to do the work that the Lord has for them. You've learned that the Spirit of God is working through, generally speaking, one person at a time in the Old Testament. Then you learn that there's, gonna, there's coming somebody soon who's going to have the Spirit of God. Who's going to be really important. And then you also learn that there's coming a day past that where the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all people. You following me? You see where we're going here? And then listen to this. This is incredible. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, so she was a virgin, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And so you're reading your scriptures and you have the Spirit of God does this through this guy, the Spirit of God does this through this guy, the Spirit of God does through this guy. There's coming a guy who the Holy Spirit's going to come upon again. And then you go, wow, the Holy Spirit just had a baby. Get it? This isn't just somebody who is going to have the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's baby. Like we make a big deal about, about Mary being the virgin mother of Jesus, but get this, Jesus, the Holy Spirit had a baby. What is going to happen through Jesus? You keep reading. And you go, she will bear a son, verse 21. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you go, Wow. This guy who has the Holy Spirit all over him, he is the Holy Spirit. And he's going to accomplish a bigger mission than you've ever seen through God working the Spirit on people. Now the Holy Spirit's in this guy. And this is the first person you've ever seen the Holy Spirit in in Scripture. All through the Scriptures before you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on people. This is the Holy Spirit, Jesus. And you keep going through the Scriptures. And you get to... The book of John, chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
almost at the end of the red letters. John chapter 14. This Holy Spirit, this Jesus, he's lived his whole life. He's got his, his gang of 12 disciples. He's been teaching them. He's been preaching to them. He's been telling them what's going to happen. And he's telling them that ultimately he's going to die and he's going to go away. And they don't understand this. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus is kind of in the middle of a discourse. And he gets interrupted. So we're going to start in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. This is John chapter 14. Now we're in verse 22. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him. So he's interrupted Jesus and this is what he has to say. You ever been saying something really profound at your house to your kids? And they they tug on your shirt and interrupt you? It's like, do you not realize that I was just in the middle of a fantastic speech right there? One that you were going to remember for the rest of your life about why you shouldn't do that. And you just came and interrupted me giving that speech to your brother because you had something to say. What is it? And listen to what he says. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And so Judas, not Iscariot, has a really good question. He says, Jesus, by this time we understand who you are. But why is it that you aren't going to tell the world who you are? Why are you just telling us who you are? You should be on a platform screaming who you are to the ends of the earth. But you're only telling us. Why are you doing that? You get to the end of Jesus' speech. So you see all those red letters between the, the black letters that are in chapter 14, verse 22. You flip over a page maybe to John chapter 16, verse 7. And he finally gets around to answering that question. The question of, why are you leaving? Why are you just telling us? This is it. John chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now go down to verse 13. You find out who this he is. You find out who this helper is. But when he, verse 13 of chapter 16, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And you find out. That the Spirit of God has been resting on individuals all throughout the Old Testament. The Spirit of God comes to life in Jesus Christ. Jesus gets to the end of his life and, and he says, It's better that I go because if I go, the Spirit of God will dwell in you. The Spirit of God will dwell in you. And you get to the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 2. You know the story. Jesus goes to the cross. He's an innocent man who's killed. He doesn't deserve it. He gives up his spirit unto God. He's got a handful of knuckleheads that he's chosen to follow him. Twelve to be exact. One of them was a backstabber, sold him out. That was Judas. Judas sells out the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. All the rest of them were fishermen. They were tax collectors. It was a, it was a band of merry men that Jesus called to himself. And then some of those men say, Jesus, I'll stand with you even if it costs me my life. 
And Jesus says, well, actually, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. And that's Peter. Then you find out that after Jesus dies, some of them just pick up their, their poles and their nets and they go fishing again. These aren't men who have the Spirit of God in their life. Okay? These are men who know the Spirit of God, Jesus, but does not have them in their life. And you get to Acts chapter 2, and it says this. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they had... They were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested each one of the, on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Get this? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was in Elijah. The same Holy Spirit that was on Samson. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? They have the Spirit of God in their life, and like that, they're able to speak in other languages. Why? Because they're studied men? No. It's because they're followers of Jesus, and the Spirit of God is in their life. In verse 9, he walks you through all the places where these people are from. Men from every nation under heaven and earth. Then you get to verse 11, and it says, We hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Verse 12, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they were full of sweet wine. Some are looking for answers from the Lord, some are mocking. But Peter Verse 14. Now keep in mind, Peter just got done fishing earlier. Right? Jesus died. He said, Jesus, I'll stand with you too. And if it costs me my life also, Jesus loses his life. Peter goes fishing. Just walks away from it. This is a new Peter. This is Peter with the spirit of God in his life. He doesn't just say, men, let's go fishing again. Let's run back to what we know. He says, Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And he says, Gang, that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing God's spirit poured out on all mankind. And you go over to verse 22 of the book of Acts, and Peter says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so Peter, without the Holy Spirit, denies Jesus in front of a bonfire to a little girl. And then then Peter, the same Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at the whole nation of Israel during a big feast and says, You killed the Holy One of God. You nailed him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead because death couldn't keep him. 
And that's the Holy Spirit of God in a man's life. Peter doesn't pick his nose and go, I don't know what happened. I can't explain it. He takes a stand on what God says. He says, this is what you've done and this is what God is doing through it. And then listen to this. He says, brethren, verse 29, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, listen to this. This is not Peter who's gone fishing. This is Peter who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that's the only difference in Peter's life. See, he had no Holy Spirit. Now he does have the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then verse 37 can only happen because the Holy Spirit working on people's lives. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And so, gang, the church, the church, the way God set it up is filled with people who are filled with the spirit of God, set on fire to do great things for the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, that's why I'm thankful and grateful for the church the way he set it up. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the spirit of God that worked in individuals' lives all throughout the Old Testament. And Father, we thank you that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and to give us eternal life, Father, we thank you that that same spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And Father, we thank you that you do that to make us alive, to do good works that you've prepared for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a church filled with your spirit, taking a bold stand on what you would call us to do and going to the ends of the earth so that every tribe, tongue, and nation can know how great of a God we serve. Lord, we pray your spirit would come alive in us. And Lord, we pray that you would use us to do exceedingly great things that can only be explained through your, the power of your spirit working in our lives. And lastly, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in Jesus before, if there's someone here who's never repented of their sins and put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day they do it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll come to our time of invitation. John and Betsy are going to lead us. If you're here and you want to pray that the Spirit of God...
The same spirit of God that was in Elijah, the same spirit of God that was in Samson, the same spirit of God that was Jesus would do a great work through you and through us as a church. I want to invite you to come to the altar and pray. I'm going to be down here praying. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to introduce you to him today. John, it's yours. We're not necessarily going to cut things short. We're going to sing through another verse or two of it. Uh, If you're hungry for the Holy Spirit to do something in your life, uh, I want to encourage you. Sometimes he just waits on us to take the first step. And I know that coming to the altar is awkward for some folks. I know that you may be here and you've never come to the altar before. And that's okay. But every once in a while, it takes a step of faith on our part before God really unleashes things and makes things happen. Uh, it really does take an act of obedience on our part to turn loose the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And so we're going to give it one more verse. I'm not begging you to come. Um, But I want to give you another chance if you're interested. So, John, if you'll lead us in one more verse. Well, again, it was good to see you this morning. I hope that uh, the morning message was encouraging to you and what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives if we'll just let him. I want to remind you there's another announcement in your bulletin that I didn't mention, and that is that... We are not going to be having any Wednesday night prayer meeting this week. I'm going to be preaching the final message at a revival that Bethany is having, uh, the church that Tommy Tripp pastors. Most of you guys know where Bethany is. If you, if you're interested in coming to that night of revival, I told him I'd bring as many of you that would come. And so you're all invited and encouraged to come here that last night of revival out at Bethany, but we won't be having any services here. Um, do you want to announce a Bible study real quick? There's a women's Bible study coming up soon that, uh, that you're all invited to. I'm going to let my wife tell you about it briefly. And then I'm going to ask uh, Brother Bob Spivey if you'd close us in prayer after she finishes. All right, so get in touch with Jesse if you're interested in the Bible study. Brother Bob, if you would do us the honor of closing us in prayer.